Amen. Guys, grab hold of a Bible, and if you would, would you make your way to the Gospel of Luke? We're going to be in chapter 11. Luke's Gospel, we're making our way through this a chapter or sometimes a half a chapter at a time as we do in Luke because it's got such long chapters. And so tonight we're finishing chapter 11 that we started last week, and we really want you to be there with us. So again, hopefully you got a Bible. If you're online right now, we just want to make sure to specifically invite you into the same space, just inviting you to grab hold of a copy of the Scriptures, whether that's a physical Bible or opening it up electronically, but be there with us so that tonight we would be paying attention and hearing what God has for us. We certainly need that, all of us, and so that's where we're going to aim tonight. And so let's just begin as we do each time, asking for help, asking that God would take His truth and take our hearts and connect those and just work what he has in that. So would you join me in that right now as we just go before him in prayer? Father, we just think about the opportunity that we have right now to present ourselves to you and to ask that you would speak to us. Lord, I thank you for your word that you tell us is alive. You say it's powerful. God, I believe you. You say it doesn't return to you void without accomplishing the purposes for which you've sent it. God, your word is that, and that's what we need. We need just your word to to penetrate, your word to speak life to us, your word to guide. But Lord, just help us to hear it. Anything that right now would just be a hindrance to us, just if it's just physically, we just need strengthened by you. If emotionally, we just need you to give us peace right now so our hearts can be settled and we could hear If spiritually, we just need you to awaken us to you. God, whatever it would take right now, would there be any hindrance, would you remove? Would you you cleanse? Would you heal? Would you strengthen? So that tonight we would hear from you. And your word would work into our lives what we so desperately need. We ask for that right now. And we ask for that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we pray for it, but I think about it right now. This book that you hold in your hands, the Bible, has everything that we need for life and godliness. Yeah, that's what God tells us. In fact, here in 2 Peter, he says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises." Hey, it's an amazing verse, but just quickly unpacking it for you, it only works in Jesus. It's only given to us by knowing Jesus, who are called by Jesus' glory and Jesus' virtue into this incredible relationship. But if that's you tonight, you, that, you're, that you're a follower of Jesus, he says, in this relationship with Jesus, everything we need, everything we need for life and godliness is given to us in Christ and through His Word, these exceedingly precious promises that the verse goes on to say that helps us overcome sin and that can draw us into the life of God that God has for us. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, I just want to hold that before you for a moment. I want you to think about right now that we have right here everything that we need, that there's everything that you would need to live the life that God has for you. He's communicated it to you right now here. This isn't just a good start. This isn't just an opinion. 
It's desperately what we need. And tonight we want to think about that a little bit. We want to talk about how we approach that because in many ways that's the theme that runs through the rest of chapter 11. Just the power, the the authority, and the way that we would respond to God's truth in our life. Now, quick FYI, if you were with us last week, interestingly enough, really the first part of the chapter really dealt with prayer dealt with the power of prayer, dealt with the power of, of, of having God be the one that we reach out to. And so it's kind of interesting that in this chapter, we kind of touch on these two great things, the, the power of our connection to God through prayer, and then the power of His Word to work into us. Now, in so doing, He gives us a number of things that will help us talk about how we deal with and how we, uh, we seek to have the Word of God work into our lives. And so again, just longing that God would meet you with both just a desire, but also a hunger, and even approach to what God would have for us in His Word. Well, we begin there in verse 27, where you could just join me there in chapter 11. It says, And it happened, as He spoke these things, that a certain woman came from the crowd and raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. But He said, More than that, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Yeah, that's where we want to begin tonight where he's telling us, okay, here's this place of both hearing God's word and keeping it, that that's desperately what you and I need. Now, it's interesting just to note how it approaches. You kind of have this woman who comes up and just out of the blue, just kind of says, hey, you know, blessed be the woman who bore you. Blessed be Mary. Now, for us, that's an incredibly interesting kind of approach. For some of you, you would understand it even more. We live in a, in a time and a space in history where there has been much in this, especially in the Roman Catholic Church and kind of an approach that often is what we would call iconic or seeking just kind of trusting in both images or trusting in kind of just things that are there. This is kind of a precursor to that. So here's this woman, she's just kind of out of the blue, she just hears Jesus, and she just makes that her approach. Now, not everybody in this room has that as, as a space, not everybody watching online, and if, you, if this isn't a struggle for you, hang on, because Jesus will come and get you from another direction in a moment, but for some of you, you are here, that that whole approach to God, kind of this idea of almost longing for something that you can physically touch, that you long for an, an image that you could, you could speak to, you long for something that's tangible and, and something almost in the midst of that that's so prevalent within maybe like the Roman Catholic Church and those things, then this speaks directly to you. And I love how Jesus does this because he looks at this and indeed this isn't something he's going to encourage. It's not something that he's going to, to, to seek to endorse, but he does so, so graciously. Yeah, you notice Jesus as he says it there in verse 28, but he said more than that. He said more than that, or some of your translations might say rather. It's a definite kind of contrast. It's not something that's saying, hey, what you're doing is good, but it's a very gentle kind of dealing. It's a very way of, say, of dealing with her and saying, well, you know, that's interesting, but drawing her attention to something else, something that's better. Some of you would understand this well. I'd speak to some of the parents here this evening, and you've done this with your kids. You know, they're kind of getting interested in something that they shouldn't be interested in. Now, there's a couple ways you could handle that. Sometimes you could just say, no, you know, like, don't do that. Now, they, that, that sometimes can be helpful, but to be honest, it doesn't always work. Sometimes just to say no, well, it actually likes 
well, why not? You know, like, okay, now I really want to do it. You told me no, and now it's going to be something I really want to do. And so some of you have done the same thing where you've tried to, well, like, hey, this is something so much better over here. Like, instead of playing with that, let's play with this. You know, let's go get this. And, and, and you do it to say, this is a better thing. Now, sometimes it's distraction, but sometimes, again, it really is your intention to bring them to something that's better. Well, that's what Jesus does here. Again, I love that it is not contro- just kind of a, a controversy. He's not being critical, but instead he just says, you know what? There's something so much better than that. There's something that you really should get your attention on, which again, he just says, hey, the ones who are blessed are, are the ones who hear the word of God and keep it. Like, what you need is this book. What you need is what God has for us. And so, in a very gentle and gracious way, he, he just speaks to someone who's in that space and, and draws and says, hey, you know what? This would be so much better. This is where you will find life. It's not going to be found there in this iconic seeking. It's not going to be found there and kind of going in that direction. It's going to be found here. And again, I just speak that to you. Again, for some of you, you're just, you're just, your brain doesn't work that way, and that's, again, I get it, but for some of you, you do. And in a very gentle way, God is just saying, hey, this is what you need. Hey, don't, don't let it move you away from, you need to hear God. You need to hear what He says. And then you need to do it, because that's where the blessed life is found. That's the blessing. It's not found in, in this other focus. This is the place of blessing, and it's a good beginning to tell us, okay, that's what we're needing. We're needing to hear God's Word in a way that we understand it and seek to obey it. Certainly true. Certainly true. Well, interestingly enough, right on the heels of that, there's another crowd, that this crowd, well, they're really going to be seeking signs, and Jesus is going to draw them to him, to see what it is. Well, notice with me what it says. Begin there in verse 29. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of, the prophet, of Jonah the prophet. So we kind of switch gears. We just were talking to these that in some ways just a moment ago were kind of iconic, just just kind of being drawn there. But now he speaks to, to those who are seeking signs. Now you kind of get this, but it's worth me just reminding you. A sign really is something that points to something. It's something that's meant to, much like we would talk about signs that are road signs or signs that point to something. But when the Bible speaks about this, it often does so with that kind of just putting together signs and wonders, which has the idea of wanting miracles, wanting to see something miraculous, like do something to really convince us. I mean, like we want something, you know, pizzazz. We want something, I mean, do something massive, do something that's life-changing or does something that's there. And here he's going to speak to those who are in that category, that those who are seeking that kind of thing. And honestly, we've just jumped to a very different personality. Again, not everybody in this room is really where you are. There are some of you that have a propensity that could almost find yourself comfortable in kind of an iconic kind of thing, Roman Catholic or whatever, and that's where you would be like where you are, and you get that, and you just need to make sure that God's bringing you back to balance, bringing you to His Word. There are others of you, like, that's not interesting. In fact, you would like it to be wild and weird. I mean, there are kind of, you know, faith and healing churches or kind of those that are miracles. Like, we want to see something like somebody healed. We want to see somebody, we want to see something magical, mystical, wonderful. And there's an attraction that some have there. 
Now, to those Jesus is speaking here, because he recognizes there are people that are there in the crowd, and what he says again, he says, he says to him, this is an evil generation in verse 29. It seeks a sign, like do something, do something miraculous, do something stupendous, do something that shows us what you are. And Jesus says, no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Verse 30, for as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Jesus says, I'm going to give you, there's only going to be one sign that you really need. It's going to be the sign that's given. It's the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, he would talk about it in other places in the Gospels, but he begins to say, as Jonah was in the belly of the, of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man is going to be in the belly of the earth. And he begins to speak of it, and this sign will very clearly... It's about Jesus' death and resurrection. It's about that Jesus would come and die on the cross and rise again. And to those in that space, he's telling them, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not playing that game. I'm not playing into to what you're wanting. You know what you need. What you desperately need is found in Jesus Christ and him crucified. In fact, he goes on to say this in verse 31, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Hey, if you know your Old Testament, then you you know what's laid out there, that it gives us this picture that Solomon, David's son, he's been given great wisdom, and people come from all over the earth to hear him. And and the queen of the south, she does. She comes, and she wants to hear him, and and she hears what she says, and she says, wow, you know, the half of it wasn't told me. I mean, you really are wise. And Jesus says, in the end times, that, Jesus, you know, that when judgment is happening, the queen of the south will stand up and say, hey, I came to hear Solomon. But to those who are right there, Jesus, who's so much stronger, so much wiser, so much better, he says, if you're refusing to hear him, he's, I mean, Jesus has life, and they're missing out on everything that it is. Add to that. He says in verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the, ju- in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Since he's using the whole Jonah illustration, Jonah, the the prophet, reluctantly ends up preaching to the Ninevites, but they respond. They respond to him being in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights. But Jesus says, when when you guys stand in judgment, Jonah will be here and, and, and the Ninevites will be there and they'll say, hey, we listened. We listen to this, and again, just a sense of judgment. And there's a sense of accountability. There's a sense of of just laying it out specifically for those that are there. But honestly, again, applying to us. I mean, just how great Christ is, how how much what we need is found in Him. And again, to these, He's speaking and saying, hey, that value of Christ in both who He is and what He's accomplishing is what you desperately need. So again, maybe this is you. Maybe you're kind of in the place that, you know, Bible. I mean, just like the Bible, it's like, well, that's kind of like Sunday school stuff. I want signs and wonders. I want big things. I want miraculous things. I want things outside Scripture. And Jesus says, no. No, what you desperately need is is what's found right here. I think about Paul who would write about this much in 1 Corinthians 1, just giving you a a quick snapshot as he continues into chapter 2. He says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with an excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. 
For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And Paul speaks about it a lot. No time to go and unpack that entirely. But he says, hey, so many people are wanting wisdom. But he says, Jesus is wisdom. He's, he's the wisdom of God to us. He's, he's the power of God to us. And Paul says, that's why that's what I'm here to preach to you. I'm here to preach to you Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's the same thing that Jesus is saying here to those that are in that space. You need a sign. If you need a sign, then you need to see Jesus on the cross. And you need to see Him, His resurrection. In fact, we could go so far as just to say very clearly, that's the very point of the Bible. Jesus told us. Everything in, the, in this book points to this. It points to who He is, that it's all about Him, that it would tell us in the book of Revelation that the very spirit, the heart of this whole book is drawing us to Him and the centrality of the cross and the resurrection. And that should be clear. I mean, I hope, and I hope again, I'm just speaking this to you tonight, that that's not Sunday school material to you. Again, not all of us are there, but some of you are. Especially if you've kind of slipped into this place where you just almost want something more. You know, want something, God to do something big or something outside of the, of the, of the standard box. And sometimes we begin to devalue the, the thing that is the greatest thing in the entire world. That's the greatest thing in history. That's the very point of the scriptures. And to these, Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not playing that game. I'm not going to give you that. What you need is the cross. What you need is Jesus Christ and him crucified to find that to be that which values, that to be that which you focus on, and that to be that which we see in this. And it shouldn't be in that place of like, oh, you know, ho-hum. I mean, that's just what we're talking about again. No, this is life. This is the power of the scriptures. These are the things that, that work into our lives. And so again, maybe again, speaking to some in different spaces, but I call you. I call you to Christ. I call you to the Word of God. I call you to this out of either direction that that might come. Now, from that, Jesus adds to it. Pick it up in verse 33. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it into a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that, all, that those who come in may see light. Okay, quick pause. Because if I don't do this, you might get confused. Jesus uses an illustration here that he uses a couple times in his ministry, but sometimes he applies it differently. In Matthew's gospel, when he does the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about you and I, that we're the light of the world. And he says, let your light shine. I mean, nobody takes a lamp and hides it under a basket. Nobody puts it under a table. So you should make sure that you live your lives for people to see. It's a powerful application. But please don't take that and put that into here because he's taken the same kind of just understanding, like why do we have a light? What's the point of having lights into the room? Why do we have lights hanging from the ceiling right now? Why do you put a light so that it casts you know, light everywhere so that we can see? I mean, the point of a light is that, people, that when you come in, People are able to see that's what we do right here in this room right now. We have lights here. We turn off the lights right now. It would be pitch dark, and we wouldn't be able to see. So lights have an intention of giving us visibility, of giving us the ability to see. Well, in this, Jesus is going to apply this. He's going to talk to us about kind of having good eyesight or, or good ability that's going to be able to see both truth and the things of our lives. Notice how he puts it in verse 34. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full 
of darkness. Okay, now just think this through with me for a moment. So lamps, the point of them is they bring light. Lampstands or light bulbs or whatever, they, they bring light into darkness. He says, if your eyes are good, and in our physical body, it's as if our eyes are like those lamps. He says, if your eyes are good, if your perspective is good, if your eyes are good, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, he says, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If that's the way that you view things, then that's going to slant everything that's there. Track with it for a little bit longer. Jesus then applies it and says, Therefore, take heed that the light in you, which is in you, is not darkness. Pay, pay very close attention to this because if the way that you're viewing it is darkness, it's going to change everything. If then your whole body, verse 36, is full of light, having no part dark, then the whole body will be full of light. And when the bright light shining, uh, shining of a lamp gives you light, that that full light will bring us into that place that we'll be able to see it. Now, again, I love the way Jesus is doing this here, but I'm also kind of aware that for some, just we read this and we're like, okay, I'm still not sure I'm tracking. Like, okay, what did we just say? What's the point of it? Well, it's a simple illustration, but it's very powerful that your perspective, the way you look at life and the way you look at things cause you to see things cause you, or, or hinder you from seeing them. I mean, it's been said, you know, in that kind of familiar aphorism that, you know, if, 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 if you're a hammer, then everything in the world is a nail. That you have a, a tendency of, to look at life through a certain window. Or there is a sense that there, if, if, if somehow the, the ability with which you view life or view the world, that has an ability to change what you see and not always for the good. Sometimes if you have a certain opinion or a certain perspective that you are looking to find something everywhere, you'll find it everywhere. You'll find it everywhere just because that's what you're looking to find. And your perspective will change what you're looking at, not necessarily for honesty. Again, I think this through, and it's a silly illustration I heard years ago or a story that probably you might, might work for somebody else. This kind of this husband and wife, and they'd hopped in the car, and they'd gone to one of these car washes and had the people that were out there washing their car for them, and they did the whole thing, and the husband was just furious. He's like, I can't believe it. They're like, they're doing a horrible job. The, the car is spotty everywhere. It's still dirty. I can't believe these guys, and we paid them for this, so he, he made them go and do it again. Like, go wash the car again, and they went and washed the car again the second time, and he was even more furious. He's like, what are they doing? I don't even understand why no, nobody's doing what I'm asking them to do. There's, there's, there's still spots everywhere all over this. Why is nobody hearing me? And his wife just reached over, took off his glasses, cleaned them for a moment, and put them back on. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, it is clean after all. You know, like I, I, I thought it was dirty, but it was my eyesight. It was what I saw that made me see everything that way. Well, that's kind of what Jesus is saying. That there's a danger that in that space that if, we, if we're looking to understand truth or we're looking to get things, if, we, if our eyesight is good, and the only way that it can be good is for God to, to help us and, and open up our eyes, Jesus is the light of the world, so that we begin to see things, then we'll see things well. But if there's darkness that clouds our eyes, we're going to miss everything. Now, this is so important because in some ways when we think about life or even the Bible, it can happen that so often people find things in the Bible that are never there. 
They, they, they read their own opinions into the Scriptures. They read their own ideas into them, not because it's actually found there, but because it's their eyesight. It's the way that they view it. It's the, 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 the way that they see life, and that becomes a scary reality. Now, I don't know if that's clear to you, but I'm going to tell you it's a scary reality. I mean, for me, as one that just wants to hear God and know what He says, I'm deeply concerned that I would slant anything my own direction or you know, put on Scripture something that's not found there. So if you get this, then it's one of those things that you're always asking for, which, by the way, is one of the reasons. We do it every time. We just did it a few moments ago, right? We got ready to approach the Bible, and we just began to ask, like, God, <laughs> help us to see it. I mean, it, it, you know, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying. And, and, and we kind of almost ask, like, Lord, if our glasses are dirty, if you will, clean them. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to read something into this that's not there. I don't want to let my personal perspective filter through what I'm seeing because I want to see and so therein becomes the challenge that that would be something we grow in. So with that again, read what Jesus is saying. Verse 35, he says, Therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. Like if you see everything through lenses that are dark, you're, that's all you're going to see, and that's a terrible reality. But if your whole body is full of light, like Jesus is changing you, you're, you're very worldviews being shaped by Christ, the way that you view time and eternity and space is being just, you're growing in Jesus, who's the light of the world. He says, you're having no part dark, then your whole body will be full of light. And when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light, I mean, it's as if the shadows would be chased away. It's as if that reality would, would change everything. And it's so much what we need, a, a place where God is in that part of transforming us, bringing us to that space. Now, I'm going to be really clear about this, but also um, hopefully helpful. Personal opinion, I don't think there's anybody in this room that you would be able to say, man, my whole body's full of light. I don't see anything but what's true. I think probably all of us have to admit, you know what? My glasses are probably dirty. There's probably things that maybe from the way I was raised or experiences that I had or opinions that, that I'm, I'm filtering things out through an untrue lens. And so we're always asking, like, God, that's, I want to grow towards that. I want to be a child of the light. I want to be transformed by truth. I want you to change me so that I become less and less that way, that I begin to approach both life and truth in a way that's not putting my own prejudice on what I'm seeing, but as asking God to change me so that I see things not in my own opinions, but in the way that's just true, that is who He is, which is desperately what we need. Now, again, it's a great way that He does this, and He does this right on the heels of these other two places, of, of one that was kind of leaning towards iconic and one that was leaning towards the miraculous. And in one sense, He's just saying, hey, the way that you, what you're looking for is going to shape what you find. And what we need to get to the place is what we're looking for is what He would have for us and longing that it would be that way. Much more we could say there, but again, I hope helpful. Hopeful, helpful at even drawing us to say, that's so much what we need. Well, with that, he now begins to move on to dealing with Pharisees and, and, and scribes. And there's really, in one sense, a package deal here, but it flows kind of interesting through each perspective and shows us a little bit more both what God is looking for 
and the way that His truth is to, to work into us. And so we'll just begin by saying, you know, from verse 37 to about verse 44, we're going to be dealing with the Pharisees and just really this danger of hypocrisy, this call to be real. So notice them to me in verse 37. And as He spoke, so He's telling them all these things, hey, you need light, you need to see these things, you know, blessed are those who hear the Word of God and do it. A certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and sat down. When the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. No time to unpack this in its entireties, but Pharisees, they are a religious Jewish sect that is incredibly religious. I mean, probably more religious than anybody you've ever imagined, seeking to live their life in a way that just everything they are is marked by their understanding of God and the ways that they, they are. And so here's this religious man, and he invites Jesus in. But the very first thing we find out is he's frustrated with Jesus because Jesus doesn't seem to do what he wants him to do. He says, when the Pharisees saw it, because Jesus just comes in, he sets down to eat, he marveled that Jesus had not washed first before dinner. Now, again, hey, that's this isn't like saying don't wash your hands before you eat, okay? That's not, that's not the kind of deal. I mean, kind of the idea is in this sense that the Jews had developed this very ceremonial way of dealing with things. And so they had this ritual way that they would wash their hands every time before they eat so that it, the food wouldn't contaminate them with some kind of, you know, evil spiritual germs. And so they had this very convoluted and very extravagant way of doing things, none of which was Scripture, by the way. None of it was found in Scripture. It was tradition that was handed down in the religious upbringing. And so Jesus, he just doesn't do it. I mean, he, he just comes in, sits down, and they're like, what are you doing? I mean, you, you didn't go through our rituals. You didn't go through everything that we were expecting. And so Jesus speaks to him, and he says in verse 39, he says, And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, you make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Says you, the, the problem with you Pharisees is it's all about the external. All you do is try to make the outside clean, but the inside is incredibly dirty. That everything about the way that they did religion, the very way that they did everything, was out, outside appearances. Outside, he says, you guys work really hard to look good on the outside. And you could almost just try to imagine it. You know, like, here you have some cup, and like they work really well to clean the part that people see, but they never clean the inside. Now, if I don't press this illustration out of what it's important of, you know, if you're going to clean one of them, it really should have been the inside, because that's the point that you use, but that's, that's, because that's the point of a cup, but they're more concerned about what people see. There's more concerned about appearances, and so Jesus says, you're, you're, that's where you're focused on. He says, you're focused on the externals, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Verse 40, foolish ones. Did not he who make the outside make the inside also, but rather give alms of such things as you have, and then indeed all things are clean to you. Jesus calls them. He calls, he says, okay, you know, here's the thing. God made, yes, there is a perception that we have, but the inside is there. And he says, that's what you really need to be at work on. You need to be at work on, on the, the person who's on the inside, that God is not trying to just make us look good on the outside. He calls us to be changed on the inside, which is the point of verse 41. Rather, give alms of such things as you have. Now, it's an interesting way to say it, but let's just be a little bit honest. The New King James, it might leave you like, okay, what did you just say? 
Well, the ESV gets a little bit closer where it says, give alms of those things that are within and behold, everything is clean to you. Like, you know, focus on what's on the inside, make sure that what you're doing flows out of that. And if you do that, then everything's going to be clean. The Amplified goes a little bit further. It says it this way, but dedicate your inner self and give donations to the poor of those things which are within, of inward righteousness, and behold, everything is purified and clean to you. Let it be that, so what you're doing, whatever things that you're trying to do, make sure it's coming from the inside. Make sure that what you're pursuing is that, and this is so incredibly beautiful, but it is needed for us to make sure that we need to think through for a moment. Because it gets right to the heart of everything that God is wanting to do in us. Now, the interesting thing is that probably there's nobody in this room that doesn't in some ways want this. Now, I could be wrong about that, so maybe that's an overstatement. But for most of us, one of the things that rubs us the wrong way is people who are hypocritical. The people who look good on the outside, or maybe, if you will, they look good at church on Sunday. They come in and they sing the songs and praise God, you know, love Jesus, and then, and then you're like, but you should see them at work on Monday, because like that person that you saw, that's not who I get to see on Monday, like, like the real person comes out, and it's, it's just, and for most of us, that's like, we hate that, we, we're like, man, that's just so phony, it's so fake, it's, it, it irritates us, and yet, let's be clear, it's a struggle that most of us have, but what we need to understand is that's never something God is playing to, He's not, he's not wanting to make you just look good on the outside. He's not looking for to, to, to help you just, so, hey, let's talk about how, people could, how you could really make people impressed with who you are religiously. No, the entire Bible, everything that's here is about changing you from the inside out so that it would give it to us in Hebrews where it tells us that this book is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce all the way down into the core of who we are, discerning between the thoughts and the intents of the heart, that this book is seeking to do a transformation, not by painting the exterior of your life, not by just saying, hey, how do we make it so you look a little better, even though you're not? It's like, I want to change you. I want to change you from the inside out. I I want to change you so that there's something that's happening there, so that the things that you do should flow out of that reality of who you really are. That the righteousness that God is working inside of you becomes the reason you do the things outside. The reasons that you live out your Christianity should be that kind of reality. Now, 100%, that's what God is seeking to do. That's the work. He is not trying to make you just look better. He's wanting to change you. So that's what this book is about. Now, all of us have fall into that habit sometimes where we're a little bit more worried, like, I just want to make people think I'm cool. <laughs> I want people to think I'm godly. And that's just, understand this, that's just never the game that God is playing. And so if we're going to get that, then we come to His truth saying, God, I know that. And, and we begin to just say, God, I need you to change me. We're not just trying to, to, to figure out you know, what looks good externally, but I'm seeking to say, you know, if this book is what it says it is, if God is doing a transforming work where my mind is being transformed, as it says in Romans 12, that day by day we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind so that the external things that we do prove that, then that's where I should be wanting God to work. Like, God, show me. (laughs) 
help me work on, let's, let's go to work on the inside of me. Let, let me approach your, your Bible and approach this gathering together in that way that that would be what I'm looking for. Well, to that, Jesus just adds to it. He just looks out at the Pharisees and speaks about all that they do. And he just kind of bit just in, in just passing ways just says how woe to them that they're doing it in a way that that is entirely not what God has. There's really three things he gives them there. We'll just point them out quickly. He says it this way in verse 42. Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, but you pass the justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He says, you're so focused on these external things, you miss the internal things. Now, it's not that the external shouldn't be there, but the far greater things were, were the things of, of, of what God really is seeking to do by making us right with Him, by the love of God. We should pursue that. Verse 43, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. He says, the thing you really want is people to think highly of you. It's everything, everything you are is like people to, to, to speak of you well, and even you, know, you as a religious person, but you're not really worried about being that person. You're not really worried about what God sees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, verse 44, for you are like graves which are not seen, and men who walk over them are not aware of. Now, that's, again, probably not an illustration that lands for you as much as it for, for them, but see, for the Pharisees, the idea of walking over a grave would make you unclean. Nothing was like worse than to walk over a grave that you didn't know was a grave because all of a sudden you were made unclean in their eyes. And so Jesus says, that's what you guys are. People, I mean, you're living in such horrendous ways because outside you look good, but inside it's not so good. It's as if you are missing everything that God is doing and you're missing the entire point of what he's seeking to accomplish. And guys, this is not a minor deal. I mean, in one sense, it might sound that way. Somebody's like, well, that's just nice. You know, Jesus is trying to work on the inside, but I'm just trying to tell you. There's a bunch of religious people in our world who everything is just external, but there's not anything internal, and they're not saved. They never really participated in the real thing that God is seeking to do, which is to save who we are and draw our lives to Him. Jesus would speak about it in Matthew 7 when he says, you know, in the, many are going to come in the last days and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, <laughs> you, know, you know, didn't we do all these great things for you? Didn't we cast out demons in your names? Didn't we do all this stuff? And Jesus says, I'm just going to tell you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's like everything you were was external. Everything you were was show. Everything you were was for people. He says, but you and I, we, we, I never knew you. Like we never really, all of it was just fake. And that should be, it ought to be scary. I mean, if you could ever read those passages and not be scared, then you're not paying attention to them because they should scare all of us. But it all draws us to this place of recognizing that the work that we're seeking to accomplish is for God to change us. In other words, for you here tonight, it's not just a place of, I hope everybody sees I'm here on a Wednesday night to see that, you know, I'm taking notes or I'm paying attention. I hope they think I'm godly. I hope they think I'm a good person. You know, that should not be your focus. You should be here like, God, I, I need you to change me. You and I both know, I need some changing, and, and I need you to change me from the inside out, and I've come not just to pretend everything's okay, I've come to say, God, here's my heart, <laughs> I, I want to become more what you have me to be, I want your truth to work deeply in me, which is exactly its intention, and the point of that is to draw us to that, that he's longing for us to step into reality, that true Christianity is meant 
to be that. He's never encouraging that road towards hypocrisy. And that's a vital thing for us to approach the scriptures and say, okay, that's exactly what I want. Well, add to that, he speaks not just to the Pharisees, but to the lawyers. Well, notice what he says. Verse 45, then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us also. Now, quick understanding. When he says lawyer, he's not talking about a legal lawyer that goes and tries a case, you know, in district court or something like that. He's speaking of lawyers and scribes. These were the Bible teachers or the experts in the Bible in those days that made it their business to understand what God said and what you were supposed to do about it. And so here these lawyers are, it's like, teacher, you know, you're kind of rebuking the Pharisees, you're including us. And they kind of are thinking, yeah, you should go after the Pharisees, but you, you surely don't mean us. I mean, like, we're, we're good because we're trying. And Jesus says to him in verse 46, woe to you also lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch one of the burdens with, with, with one of your fingers. You don't touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You make it hard. He says, woe to you, because instead of helping people understand God's truth, you've made it difficult. And honestly, they did. I mean, they did. If you've studied it ever or get a chance to, it was a crazy thing to watch these who took the Old Testament scriptures and you know, took the simplicity sometimes that was there and made it complicated. For like God would say, hey, you know, don't bear a burden on, on the Sabbath. And so they would say, well, what's a burden? And they came out with an exact weight that you couldn't carry. And then they came out with ways like, okay, well, that means you couldn't carry something in your right hand or your left hand. But then they spent all their time finding ways around it. Like if you could carry it with your elbow, that's okay. You know, you can't carry your arm, but if you could do it with your elbow, that's fine. Or if you could carry, you know, you couldn't carry it on top of your feet, but if it could be kind of, just, if you could attach it to the back, it, it's okay if it's on your calf. That's not, a, you know, a violating of the law. Or they would say, okay, you know, we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, and so for someone to go and, and fetch a pail of water and tie a knot, that's violating the law. But for a woman to tie her girdle, well, that's not a violation of the law. So literally they came out with a place that's like, okay, if you go and tie your girdle to the pail while you're getting water, you didn't violate the law. You know, because that's a way, that, and so they spent all their time making something so simple, so complicated. And Jesus just tells him, he says, you guys have made it more burdensome. You make this hard. You took God's truth and you've made it burdensome. You load it, load it on people and you're not even helping them. You don't do that. And understand this, that's not where God's truth is supposed to work into your life. I think about how it says it in 1 John. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. As clearly as I can say it, the better you understand the Bible the more simple it becomes. That it's not complicated. It's not meant to be something that is heavy and like, oh, it's so hard to obey the Bible. It's like, actually, it's not. I mean, not that it's easy to do. I can't do it without Christ. I can't do it without His power and His forgiveness. But neither is it, you know, something that's so hard to figure out what God wants from my life. I mean, in some ways, it's simple, right? We say it all the time. Love God, love people. That's the whole deal. <laughs> Everything God wants for you is that. Sometimes as you understand the scriptures, instead of it becoming complicated, it ought to become more simple. But these were making it burdensome. And so he goes on to say in verse 47, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed, and your fathers killed them. 
In fact, you bear witness again and approve the deeds of your father, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God has said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which is shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. Hey, there's a lot in that, but in a very simple sense, here were these scribes saying, you know, we're trying to do the right thing. He's like, you guys are fighting, you're in a battle that is just, you know, fighting against everything that God is doing is good. So that prophets and apostles and people that are bringing the truth, they're resisting. And that happened and it's still happening. The biggest persecutor of true Christians are religious people. It has always been that way and it will always be that way. And in one sense, he's looking at him here and says, you're, you're, you're on the wrong side of this. You're, you're, you're joining this battle that is resisting God and everything that he has for, for you. He goes on to say it in verse 52, Woe to you, lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and those who are entering in, you've hindered. You, you've made it complicated. You've made it burdensome. He says, you made it so that, you know, you don't enter. Like, you're not actually doing what the Bible says but you try to hinder everybody else who's trying. And this is scary space. It's a scary space where he's, he's looking at these who are that, and they've taken God's truth and made it hard. And if I can just apply that, I hope it isn't that way to you. I hope that's not what you find here tonight. I hope it's not what you find in God's Word. It is that way, but it needs to be the way that you approach the Scriptures. Don't make it hard. <laughs> Don't make it more complicated than it is. Don't try to read into it things that aren't there. Don't take things that God gave us for good and all of a sudden make them heavy burdens. Don't be one that, that takes away the ability to understand the truth of God because this is not meant to be this. This book is meant to be a light to our path. It's meant to be truth into our lives. It's meant to approach that, but there's a way of approaching it that instead of letting it just say what it says, that people read into it what it doesn't say and make it more complicated than it really is, which is exactly where he's telling us not to go, that he's calling us into that space of being receptive to the things that God has. Well, it kind of ends up this way in verse 53. As he said these things to them, the scribes and Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something that he might say that they might accuse him. And I just want to kind of tie all this together with this thought of simply saying, hey, don't be closed-minded. Yeah, that's where these guys were. I think it's probably pretty clear. You know, they're listening and they're actually talking to Jesus. They're actually asking him questions. They tell us again in verse 53, as he said these things, the scribes and the Pharisees, they began to assail him vehemently and cross-examine him. Like, well, what about this? And what about that? And what do you mean by this? And they were asking him questions, but I think it's again clear, they're not really listening. They're not asking questions to actually learn. No, it says they're, they're lying in wait for him. They're seeking to catch him. They're, they're only asking so that they could find something that they might accuse him of, that they might say, hey, that's, that's something that's wrong. And one of the great dangers in all of this is that it's very, very possible to have your mind so made up that you, that you don't want to confuse them with the truth. The kind of person that's like, I already know what I believe and don't, don't let, I'm not actually listening to anything that's there. And that's kind of where it ends. I mean, in this place of, of this scary space where that could actually happen. 
where we aren't actually listening, or we're not actually listening to listen. We're listening for an argument. The kind of thing, well, I don't agree with that, and I don't agree with that, and that's, what's, that's wrong with this. And instead of saying, God, I want to hear your truth. And you think about all of that, and in many ways, it goes back to everything we've said this evening, that God is calling us to be those who take his truth seriously, that we hear the word of God, that we hear the word of God and keep it, not being kind of attracted to more just iconic or weird kind of things. It's like, no, I need this book. We're not going to turn away to wanting just signs or miracles. No, we're going to be focused on, on the truth that's here that points to Jesus Christ and Him crucified, which is the heartbeat of Scriptures. And that should never get old to us. We should want to get this because we want to have our eyes open so we could see that and say, okay, I don't want my, my perspectives to jade it so I don't get that because I want that which is real. I don't want to be fake or phony or fake in this whole thing. I don't want to make it hard. And there's a, a joy in all of this of saying, hey, this is what we need. So let me say it again this way. There's not a perfect person in this room watching online, there's not any one of us that don't need what God is holding out to us, that everything necessary for life and godliness is found in His Word, that everything we need is here. Exceedingly great and precious promises. But the goal is simply to be in the place that we are rightly pursuing those, that we are in a place where we're being changed and transformed by the truth of God. That's a process, and it's an ongoing process that isn't going to be solved tonight. But you can be on the journey, that it can happen in the right way, where you can say, okay, God, I, I, I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to make this thing complicated, but I want your truth to change me from the inside out. And that should be an approach that you have towards the Scriptures, because I'm just telling you what you need what you need is right here. I mean, what would help you live a godly life and help you live the, the way that God has, it's what He's given us in His truth, and that you would look to something else or go other places or pay not attention to this. And you do so to your own folly. And you do so for missing what God says, I've given you everything. I've given you everything you need. I've given you everything to, to live a godly life, Everything you need to, to, to live the way that God has, it's right here. This truth would change you from the inside out, and it should be a thing that is consistently a part of your life saying, okay, Lord, help me to see it. <laughs> help me not to focus just on externals. Just change me and, and change me well. And I'm telling you, that's exactly what God's Word is. So tonight, I'm calling you to it. I'm calling you to have that kind of life. And anywhere where you're out of focus on that, anywhere where that's not a space where you are just longing that God would bring you to that. Well, one more thing, and we'll close. I love all of this, and part of it I love is because it's just so genuinely real. I love that Jesus is in a process of taking broken lives and making them new, that he's changing us from the inside out. But here's the problem. What we talked about just a moment ago, there's a bunch of people that think a Christian is just being religious, just learning what they do. So what do I have to do? I have to go to church on Sunday? Is that, what that, is that what Christians look like? Do I got to carry a Bible? You know, what do I do to make people think I'm good? What do I do to kind of look like a Christian? And they spend their whole life not there. And Jesus, again, speaks to those. He says, hey, there's this whole, there's going to be many that come in that last day. And they say, Lord, Lord, 
You know, look at all we've done. You know, look at all that this is. And, and he's just going to tell them. But I never knew you. Depart from me. I mean, into everlasting judgment. And that's the scariest reality. And so I'm telling you tonight, if you're here this evening and that's not where you are, or you're watching online right now, and honestly, your understanding of being a Christian, it's just like being religious. I mean, it's like a fad. I mean, for some of you, it's the way that you've done sports or something like that. Like, what kind of t-shirt do I need to wear? What kind of cap? How do I do this? What does it look like for me to, to change behavior so that, people, so that I can be a part of the club? And it's all about externals, and it's all about just that appearance. And if that's you, I'm telling you, that's not the work that Jesus is doing. That's not Jesus Christ coming to die for our sins and to rescue us. He's seeking to do a work that's changing us, that saves our souls, and is in a process of changing us from the inside out. And so if that's you this evening, that somehow this is not what you're doing. I mean, you're not in a place of like, yes, God, I need your truth to change me. <laughs> change me a lot. Like, I just need, con- if that's not the way that you're living your life, then there's incredible danger there. But I invite you to Jesus. Because if that in any way exposes just that lie, then there's hope for you that today you could move away from that. Instead of being religious, you could step towards relationship and then allow God to begin changing you from the inside out. That His truth, that is everything that we need, would be at work inside of you to transform you. Tonight we invite you into that relationship with Jesus. It's a real relationship that really changes lives. And if that's not where you are then by God's grace, we call you to a true relationship with Jesus. If you have questions about that, reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you about that more. Well, Bible's closed, no books closed, whatever it is you have open, let's take a moment and let's just ask God. Let's just ask Him for this, to, to make your life and my life to be in this process. Would you join me? Father, I think about those that I just spoke to, and it's one of the scariest realities to me in the world. People that look okay on the outside and yet are never really saved. That have spent their whole life pretending. Hypocrites. And Jesus, you're going to tell them, but I never knew you. God, save these. I pray for anybody who's found themselves there that they've realized that their Christianity is just a performance. It's just something on the outside. Then God, I ask for your rescue. I pray that you draw them to the reality of Christ to the cross that paid the price for our sins and rescues us and draws us into new life. God, would you do that? Would you rescue now? God, leaving those in your care, I want to pray for those of us who are yours. And honestly, Lord, we, we, we need some help because sometimes we just miss this. We, we miss the power and the authority and the wonder of the word of God that is meant to change our lives from the inside out. Maybe we've made it complicated. Maybe we've only focused on the externals. Maybe we've become attracted to the miraculous, or maybe we've been more attracted to the iconic. But Lord, we've gone away from the simplicity of just saying, God, change me by your truth, day by day, day by day. Let your your, your word transform me from the inside out. And yet I know that's exactly what you're seeking to do. That's what the power of your word does. It's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. God, I ask for that. I ask for that transformation. I ask that you'd bring us into that space and be changing us. Lord, where our perspective, our eyes are jaded, 
where we are looking at life and even looking at your truth in ways that it's just not true. We're, we're slanting everything and missing the point of what you're saying. Would you cleanse us? Would you wash us? Would you help us to come closer to you and allow your truth to change us from the inside out so that even our values, even our worldview is changing because of who you are. God, I ask for that and I ask for your work. I ask for your word to change us, to change me. I ask for that now in Jesus' name. Amen.